Hi, I'm Ada from Nigeria, and I've had five different violin teachers in five different countries. That's Ada Amana from M23. This week, we're diving deep into Ada's story on Humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast that captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Julia Ip, and today I'll be sitting down with Ada Amana from M23. Hi, Ada. Hi, Julia. It's nice to have this conversation with you today. Thanks for joining us today. So let's talk about the violin teachers. Oh my gosh, you must really, really be passionate about violin to, to seek out five different violin teachers in five different countries. That's pretty amazing. How did you start playing violin? Is it something you're super into? Oh yeah, actually it was an accident that stuck on me. So um, when I was in high school, we had to take compulsory music theory class for the first three years. And after then, during my junior exam, I was like, music is literally the first course I'm going to drop. I don't know, during our senior senior high, high school, rather, when we were registering for the course for music, like, who wants to join music? I was like, you know what, sign me up, just like that. Mm-hmm. And I could sign up for it out of the blues. And I guess during that course, we had to get an instrument that we would use for music practicals and I didn't really fare well with the piano because that was like the key <laughs> instrument everyone used and I was literally intimidated no let me get my own thing and the only thing I could get then was a violin and I had my first violin I think at 14 or 13 ish and you've just been playing like ever since yes I've been playing since then but when I was in Nigeria like classical music is not really uh, popular there. So I took more of the Afro pop or like African music now. And it didn't really fit well into it. But when I came to the mm-hmm. uh, US, I started with the Suzuki method all over again. And I've been going since then. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I actually also play the violin. I started from like a very young age, like from grade one until grade 12 except I'm the opposite ever since Minerva it's been so hard for me to like take my violin everywhere just because you know it's an extra like piece of luggage <laughs> and I can I, I never really prioritize it as much I, I'm probably not as passionate about playing the violin as you are yeah it's it's a lovely distraction and I just enjoy the sense of community you get from playing in just a string set like Oh, it lifts my spirit so yeah. much. Like I wanted to be a part of this so bad. And um, I just like, you know what? Whatever, I'm all in. Just let's go. Yeah. And Ada, this ties into my next question. This is a fun question. If there was a museum about you, what would be featured? So I'm guessing something to do with the violin. Definitely it would be top of the list. One of the things I would want to be there is just a non-traditional looking violin. Like not just the basic one. It's the brown color, something floral and decorated. I found a picture of one once and it was my profile picture for like two years. Like <laughs> that's how much I wanted something like that. But who is expensive. So something like that. And then I I would get Adele's record album. Oh my god, I love it. Oh yes. So much. I so also love much. Adele. And then I would get the entirety of Westlife, the boys band. I literally grew up with these guys. I know the lyrics to 
I think all of your songs. Wow. <laughs> you sing them anywhere. And it's just that joy of, you know, you sing along with something that's made me repeat them so much because those are literally the only songs I could sing along to. So I would have the records there and then I would have, oh my God, spices. I love to cook. <laughs> so I'll just have like, I don't know, a very Nigerian kitchen in my museum. Then I have like a deck with all different spices you could possibly think about. And then a ton of rice. Like I could eat rice till I die. That's how much I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. So it sounds like, you know, music has been a really big part of your life. What was it like growing up? Were you always uh, very musically inclined? What was it like growing up in Nigeria? So on the musical side, I think we literally have the largest uh, musical industry, the Afrobeats. About 50 or 60% of it is just Nigerian music. So that's a core aspect of our culture. But on a personal level, I was raised in, like, my, my grandma was a singer too, but like a non-traditional, nice. a very traditional singer. And then I used to sing in the choir. And after that, I transitioned that to having my own thing where I could make music personally for myself and also to entertain others. But I think that's the musical aspect of my growing up, but just on a normal Nigerian individual, just a Nigerian girl, I was raised in the southeastern part of Nigeria, in a town of Bagana, that's in an Anambra state. So uh, in this part of Nigeria, it's predominantly like made up of Igbos and Christians. And that's one of the languages spoken, like one of the five, over 500 languages spoken in Nigeria. So you could tell it's very diverse. And also with each language, you have different cultures and ethnic groups, just a big melting pot. That's what I would call it. So with that, you know, you have to learn a lot from other people growing up, like even into family mixing, it's a lot of like learning opportunity. And then from there to you have an aspect of traditional versus religious practices that also factors into our roots. I was raised from a mix of um, traditional and Catholic background. My father was very mm -hmm. traditional, but my mom, she's very Catholic like to the core. Mm -hmm. Also my grandmother, the two of them, very Catholic to the core. So my typical life would be just go to school, come back, then you head to church for rosary, choir practice or catechism class, whichever you're doing at that moment. If it's Holy Communion, you go for that class. If it's confirmation, whatever, until you graduate. But then post-graduation is just getting into the girls' groups, like the uh, Legion of Mary, Mary League Girls Association, and then the choir practice. You don't grow out of those ones. And it's all a part of weaving you into the uh, fabrics of the community, making you know with other people. So it just forces you to be out there to mix up with people and also be recognized as, okay, this is a very legit member of this community. And that's one thing I loved about it, the sense of community presented. Yeah. That's awesome. What is your favorite childhood memory other than, you know, going to choir practice every day, going to school every day, you know, outside of school, what was your favorite childhood memory? Oh my God. Okay. That is a very hard question to answer because there's just so much. Like every day I spent with my family, maternal family was just always a joy. But there's this annual event that I can't forget. We call it Okane, but it's the equivalent of Mother Sunday. But it's sort of celebrated differently in my family. So my maternal grandma, she's the chef that inspired me to cook a lot. But the aspect of the story I want to emphasize is 
how her cooking created this love-hate relationship about communal living. So during Mother's Sunday, my grandmother would literally host everyone within the clan. So she was like, you know what? I don't care if you have your own families, you're eating at my place today, which is a lovely thing to do. But the thing is, we get to be the ones suffering. So <laughs> we will prep for the food, you know, prepare the <laughs> venue, set it table for everyone else. And you know, when people are eating at your place, it's very tedious to cook for like hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. So, And this is my grandma. She loved it so much that she doesn't care if it's going to keep us all up at night. She's like, don't worry, you'll love it when everyone is praising your food and enjoy like you get that joy when you feed people so come on let's do this and then usually she would make this dish we call okwa it's like a traditional food we kind of get the it's like a a very big plum but then when you let it rot a bit the seed you wash it out then you prepare it in a special way with spice it takes a lot of time to clean and wash and you know, that's why it's available once in the bloom and maybe special occasions. So we go through the process of two to six hours of washing and preparing all the things we need for this food. And then everyone else would come and <laughs> they would enjoy every other food, the rice, the stew, the soup, but they would always go for this okwa. And that was my favorite. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, let's say at 6 to 7 p.m. at night, when everything is settled, there will be none left. So I'll be stressed out with, you know, joining her to feed the people, but then you wouldn't have anything left to make you so angry. Like, you're saving this for me, but then you'll be so happy seeing how much people appreciate your cooking. And, like, it, it made me love, like, to feed people, to cook for people. Like, literally, I mean, I'm like, you know what, just come over. I don't mind. I'll cook for you. And it's taught yeah. me an aspect of, like, the stress that comes with feeding people, but you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to sacrifices too. Well, your grandma sounds amazing. It's so amazing how food is translated into like love in so many different cultures. So your grandma, your parents, they sound like such amazing people. It sounds like you grew up in such a loving environment. Um, how would you describe the love you grew up with? What was your household like? Do you have any siblings? Oh yeah, I have three siblings, but my mother has adopted a lot of my cousins too. If I count them, we'll be around eight-ish. We, we just four, two girls, two boys in my household. But then I have a large extended family, which it's a lot. Like during the year, everyone is in school. I went to boarding school, so it's a little bit scanty. But then at the end of the year, during festivals, uh, Christmas, when everyone comes together, it's just the best experience you could think of. There's a lot of gifts exchange, you know teasing too oh you're so thin and they make you eat more and I love that feeling because when you go to boarding school you're literally not getting as much food as you get at home so Mm -hmm. to get all that attention of oh grandma will take care of you yeah so it's it's lovely and I miss it so much that I, I just cannot wait to get back home honestly yeah I also can't wait to get back home. I also have a very similar experience at home. It's like, I don't have to worry about food at Minerva. It's like constant hustle to try and cook and do school and... Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So growing up, did you have any other interests other than like playing violin? You know, what were your passions as a kid? My first career 
passion was to be an astronaut. Wow. (laughs) But I don't think I would do that anymore. But maybe sometime in the future, there's an opportunity. But for now, I'm really interested in medicine and education. So I, I want to go to med school to study, but I wouldn't want to be a full time medical doctor. I want to teach. So either I just practice part time or teach, or I just switch into teaching fully, maybe a teaching hospital, something. Very cool. All these sound very important. <laughs> Astronaut, medicine, and education. You're really tackling like everything. And I'm curious, like, how did you discover what you were passionate about? Uh, so my mother was sort of um, an informal educator at home. So she used to teach, but not formally. And when I was growing up, she taught me literally everything I know. Like she made me one of the good students in my village school. But then there was something I got when I think I was three or four. She had this calendar that she gave me on my birthday. It was like all the different professions. I should pick the one I wanted. And I think when I saw the astronaut, it was the strangest thing ever. Like who would be in that is so uncomfortable and like hot in Nigeria. Why would you want a full-on suit? I did not understand it, but like, hmm, it must be interesting for someone to want to fit into there. You know what? I'm going to do that. There's just like just that curiosity to find out what would make someone in this kind of environment want to go into that oddly looking suit. No one, I want to see what's going on in it. And that's how I decided I was going to be an astronaut. I knew nothing of astronomy. I never really knew a lot about it until I grew up. Wow, I love that curiosity. <laughs> it's like, I don't know why someone would do this. Let's see why. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was just the strangest thing. I don't know. That's what I've been doing all my life. That's why I'm even here. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've had such uh, great experiences, you know, throughout your life with many different aspects of growing up you know you had your religion you had your parents you had your family you had Sunday get-togethers you had this informal education at home what did you learn through all of this or what did you learn through all these years of growing up in Nigeria what advice would you give to your five-year-old self or I mean yeah general takeaways from growing up but for my five-year-old self I think the most relevant you know tell how would be you, you just have to start practicing your violin early because <laughs> I feel so intimidated when I see like seven-year-olds playing pieces that I'm struggling with. Like, you know what? You're going to start right now. Just just do it. But, you know, not, not very seriously. Just be young and enjoy being a kid. But also, like, just cherish the family you have because you wouldn't be with them forever. Because as you grow up, you know, responsibilities creep in and sometimes kind of widen the distance between all of you. Like when I was at home, we would talk for like, I don't know, daily, but now just once in a while. So I would advise myself to just enjoy that family setting because most of my endeavors right now, like we are inspired from that sense of community. What do I feel my community needs with most? That's education. Mm -hmm. So I want to learn, improve myself to be that useful to them. So I would just advise her to enjoy that community event that rosary gathering that I hated so much. Just just sit through it. Close your eyes. Don't cry. Just sit there. Go for your catechism classes. Don't cry. Just just enjoy it. You, you would pay off. You know, yeah. Community is so important. I totally agree. 
Right. And that kind of goes into my next question of what are you grateful for? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you already know the answer. <laughs> my family. But yeah, I'm just grateful for the kind of upbringing I have because I feel as if I got the best pick from grandparents to parents and they've been the one helping me navigate you know everything from being okay. responsible for myself to being this sort of independence to go the seas alone and that's one thing I'm grateful for that kind of upbringing and I think yeah the sense of community they've given me they've also helped me enjoy the diversity at Minerva and making the world my campus because it's helped me every city I try to seek out communities and that comes from looking for maybe a jazz band to join or maybe choir to join or just random events to just bump into, you know, like it made me curious and like inquisitive enough to just put myself out there. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. All right, Ada. So you've, we've talked about how you grew up, your past, what you've learned and what you're grateful for. Let's talk about where you're going. So you've already talked a little about your passion for education and medicine and wanting to go to med medical school. What exactly are you interested in when you talk about education? I feel if you, there's a difference between just getting a random traditional education, you know, teaching you something out of the book versus teaching you to learn. And I think that's one unique thing I, I actually learned from Minerva and I'm very grateful mm -hmm. for that aspect of critical thinking. Like you, you are put yeah. in a spot where you are motivated to go out there and pick out information. You're given the tool to see out what is best for you. Like you're analytical about it. And that's what I feel is an aspect of education. I could bring to my community. It's one thing to be, I don't know, educated in a sense, but then it's another thing to be able to discern what is most relevant at a given point. And that's just my priority when it comes to education, to setting them up for, you know, success in the long run. So they'll never be overly dependent of you. Like that's the traditional structure I hated. You know, you have this all-knowing person that you always go to consult for information like that's good for example in passing down oral tradition from the Igbo culture but in, in like let's say current matters like this one you should be able to tell your left from your right and not depend on someone as your sources of information awesome. are you currently working on anything in the education space or in the medical space or what are you doing right now to help build that passion for now, I'm, I'm more focused on the medical space, just trying to plan ahead post-graduation, mm -hmm. like studying for MCAT and all. But I feel the education aspect will come afterwards when mm -hmm. I've graduated from med school. But on the side, what I'm doing is trying to be in touch with my community, like understand the way things are going, like be very active there. So mm -hmm. at every point in time, I could always give my contribution and like provide a different perspective for the way things are going. I mean, it might inspire others to maybe think outside of the box. And also I could learn from all that people thinking outside of the box in that community. So I could understand where is it headed now and how could I help shape it? Yeah. Great. And is there anything you want to explore more other than medical school, medicine and education? Yes. Huh. <laughs> this is a very 
controversial part that I hope my mom doesn't <laughs> see this podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> I really I want to learn more about the Igbo culture and tradition. I've I've learned a lot from the works of people like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and Chino Achebe because they are all from my state. Like the same. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yes, from my state in Nigeria. And it was like watching them describe seemingly forgotten aspect of the Igbo tradition that I mm. felt like this punk of me that what is going on. It seems as if you're letting it go and overly adopting the like the westernness or whatever mm. that may be called. But not that I'm anti-Western, it's just that the post-missionary era kind of brought in this abandonment. We all left everything behind. We demonized the culture. Oh, it's paganism. As if it's that bad. It kind of hurt me so much to see how much you would, like at home, we wouldn't even want to celebrate or indulge in some festivals because it's called paganism. And then we go to church and celebrate some of the feasts that are not, are not really Catholic, but just, I don't know, under the umbrella of Catholicism. And then outside here, I think one of the city exploration I had was this Mitrio Museum where we I had to listen to a podcast and then walk into this uh, shrine that was celebrating the Roman God. Like I saw how it was preserved. I was sort of annoyed, but excited at the same time because this is like exactly like a replica of what we have at home. But we yeah. pushed to burn all of them down I don't I don't worship in, but here they're being preserved and celebrated and I hated it so much that I was like, you know what? When I get home, maybe I'll change my religion a bit. I know I might get kicked out, but yeah, I'm not angry at the at the museum. I'm just angry at the sense that when it, it is ours, we demonize it, but we celebrate it when it's coming from the outside. I just want that sense of ownership for yeah. tradition and like preservation for the culture. Yeah. So interesting. And that's awesome that you're able to talk about this on this podcast. So I think it was so important to also bring those non-Western voices as well, which, you know, Minerva being a very you know, diverse community, I think it's important for these things to come to light. So thank you for that. All right. So we have come to the end of this episode. But before we go, we got to do a fast fire round of questions. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is one of your favorite TV shows? Oh, Golden Girls. Phone calls or texting? It depends on the person, but majorly phone calls. Okay, okay. Dogs or cats? Can I say neither? But <laughs> I'll prefer dogs. Cats are scary. Yeah. Okay. Camping or binge watching shows at home? Binge watching. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what is your word of the day? Oh, juxtaposition. Oh my God. Yep. Wow, that's a, that's a big word. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being on the show, Anna. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh my God. Thank you for hosting. It was lovely. Like this made me think about, like rethink all the aspects of myself that I, I sort of forgotten or I don't know, took for granted. Thank you for the oh, space I'm to so talk happy. about them yeah i'm so happy to hear that i'm glad you had fun thank you thank you so much let's wrap this episode be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on spotify and apple music 
Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva.